Find Your Feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. Ultra Trail Australia is complete for another year and so today we follow up on our last podcast with Honey and discuss her experience at the UTA. This is from the lead up to the actual race and into now recovery. We talk about how the lead up to the race went and what worked well for her but also what didn't and we discuss her tips and tricks for trail runners entering UTA next year and this can be applied to other races. And from the survey we recently released on our UTA resources and a really huge thank you to everyone that has completed this. This feedback really helps us. The mental side of racing was brought up by a lot of you, so today we spend some time discussing this and what lessons Hanny's learnt from the UTA this year. I think that trail runners are going to get a lot out of this podcast, but even if you're not a trail runner or you're just starting your journey, this podcast has lessons for us all, and I hope you enjoy. A week and a half since the Ultra Trail Australia has finished. How are you feeling? Um, physically now, really good. You know, actually, I um, I really thought that physically I would probably have ruled myself out of normal life for about two to four weeks, and I'm already feeling really good. And I know that there's a bit of risk that you know you can always jump straight back into playing too much too soon, but. Yeah, I think that side's really surprised me. Um, I think I've been through the emotional roller coaster that probably most people experience after Ultra Trail Australia and I think, or any big race really. Um, you know, early on there was just so much relief, like to finally cross that finish line and I guess put um, the fear to bed a little bit. <laughs> but. Um, and then I sort of got into this like euphoria of like you don't have to jump out of bed at 6am to go training and um, you know you can back off yourself a little bit but I guess in this second week since UTA I think there's been a little bit more self-reflection and critique over what I did and how I performed and I have to admit there's there's a little bit of frustration in me that I let some things kind of um, impact on my performance a little bit and I'm, I'm not taking away from what I achieved or what Lucy or any of the other girls or boys in that race did but for me I think deep down I know that I probably sort of slightly underperformed um, and I think it's just coming to terms with that and trying to work out what I'm going to take away from that. So why do you think that you underperformed? Um, I think that I let emotion become my nemesis uh, I really felt like in I had had a really really good physical lead into the race until about six weeks out and then it was like there was this switch went off in my brain or on I don't know which way around and I started to feel a lot of emotions and I think that led right through till literally standing on that start line in the first 50, 60, 70 day of that race. This, I had so much emotion going through me and I didn't really deal with that very well. So 
Yeah. In our previous podcast, we talked about pressure. Did that play into that emotion at all? Uh, it was everything to do with pressure for me. Um, and it was a very much an internal pressure. I can't even remember what I said about pressure back in that podcast, whether it was mostly internal or mostly external. But more than ever before, I had filled myself with an internal pressure. And um, I think this led to just then feeling this secondary sense of fear, uh, so much fear about really about um, could I perform to the potential that I knew I could perform at? If I didn't perform to my potential, how would that reflect on my coaching? I think that was probably the biggest fear that I had was that there were, we had, what was it, 1,800 people download all our training resources and I know they work like I know they're right and they're they're appropriate for so many people but if I failed for whatever reason you know and I hate that word but if I failed for whatever reason how would people think that reflects on my coaching because that really means a lot to me these days um and then I think there was also a pressure coming from the fact that about Six, seven years ago, I entered the 100K at what used to be the North Face 100, now is UTA. Um, and it was in an era when I had I had no one there to be a support crew. I had absolutely no idea how to eat, to drink, what gear to use, like, you know, how to carry the mandatory gear, how to train for that, living in a flat place. And um, I got to 70K and came on staff and pulled out of the race. And I think that kind of... You know, I really feel for anyone who experiences that not crossing the finish line because I know that it just adds another level of internal pressure um, probably to you next time, and I really get that now. See, for those who don't know, you've never actually raced a 100-kilometre race. This was your first go at. Yeah, exactly right. Like, I've done races that probably physically are almost more challenging than what UTA was for me in the end, so things like... Um, the Cradle Mountain Ultra, which is only 82 kilometres, and I've done missions in Tassie, which are 93 kilometres and took longer than I took out there at UTA. But to actually stand on a start line of a 100k race, no, I've never done that. And um, yeah, and I, and I think probably deep down, I'm not a 100k athlete. You know, I've always said I'm a greyhound, I love to run fast, I like to kind of go hard, get it done and go home rather than this sort of more plod <laughs> slog <laughs> mentality which and physically which goes with 100k races. Um, so that, that was also in the back of my mind as well is like I have no idea how I can go doing this. So what was yeah. the motivation? Why did you select a 100km race if you're saying that's not your strength and you hadn't done it before? I think it was a bit like for, for most people of why they like do it it was curiosity um yeah curiosity to see if I'm capable of running the 100k and curiosity to I mean you don't really know where your strengths lie until you actually get in there and have a go at some things and I felt like before I did hang up my shoes it was something I had to have a go at yeah to know to feel it (laughs) the highs the lows (laughs) If you were to sign up for another 100-kilometre race, do you think you would feel more settled going into it, having raced and finished the distance? Yeah, definitely. And, um, 
like definitely without a doubt almost to the point where I may be almost too calm like I think I'd flip the other way but I think this was just such a huge hurdle for me mentally that I also kind of in the lead up to the race had and probably over the last six to 12 months knew that for me the end of my very elite career was coming to a you know a close we've got more chapters in life that are sort of opening at the moment and um so I kind of felt like I had this window of opportunity to complete the hundred um and I and I voiced that on the finish line that that to me that was it in terms of really throwing myself at my running but there is this part of me now two weeks later that's going just one more <laughs> like just one more prova go at it don't undermine myself let's like really see what I can do um with this newfound knowledge I, yeah I have no idea what the answer to that is but <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about it later on about what's next but why did you choose this as the end of your elite career was there something that made you want this to be the end to finish in 100 or it was just time look I think I've bought into the hype around UTA um I love that event don't get me wrong the the organizers and it, like, it is such an incredible event to see how it's growing, to see what it's done for the lives of so, so many people. And I think I kind of knew deep down that, you know, I have still lived in the public eye as an athlete. And that, that's really hard, to be honest, always kind of feel like there are people watching over your shoulder. And I feel like if I'd gone and stood on any other start line, it wouldn't it wouldn't have counted. Um, it still would have been that, but you haven't run the, the 100 at UTA. You know, I think that for everyone in Australia has kind of become the big thing to do. And I think because I have been, I've had such a long history with that event is that, you know, one stage the official coaching provider for three years and then more recently, you know, an involvement through the North Face and through the 50K that I felt like you just, it, it had to be that one. Yeah. So going into the, the lead-in for the race, how do you think you went with your prep? What what did you do well? What do you wish you had done better? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, um, deep down somewhere, I knew I was super physically well-prepared to the best of what my lifestyle can, can allow. Um, obviously, I work full-time and run a business and carry a lot of pressures associated with that. But with the with what I had available to me um, and the fact that I'm not a sponsored athlete and not sort of flying around the world using running as my sole career, um, I think physically I did absolutely everything that I could um, short of strength training, which was just something, you know, something had to go and that for me was what went. Um, I, I think I had some fantastic missions over summer that gave me a lot of internal strength that I knew I I could look after myself independent of anyone else in that race if I really had to and I think that was giving me a lot of strength um I definitely felt stronger than ever hiking on hills because like I said I've been the gazelle I've never thought hiking was relevant to me but I think I got my head around that and was really at peace with the concept that there'd be times when I'd be out there hiking and I couldn't run um and I think, like, when everything was getting a bit mentally tough for me, the thing I kept coming back to was I think 
better than anyone else, I can back myself with nutrition and hydration. And I've now learned just how critically important it is to to be able to say that with confidence. Um, and that has come from just wrapping my head around how important it was and practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing and really trying to overcome my stubborn mule mentality, which I used to have of like, I don't need it um, or I only need a little bit. Um, I think that was probably the thing that I thought would would give me an edge on everyone else in terms of the elite competition. And I think it did, to be honest, yeah. So is that the nutrition hydration is purely just your experience or was it that you were open and just you, you could read your body, I guess? I think it's both. I think to really use nutrition hydration to your advantage, um, I think you have to understand the science. If you don't understand the science, then you can't read your body. So I think, you know, it definitely for me, like developing my knowledge over the years on how important it is and, and how to do it and why to do it and what to use, I think that was fundamental first and foremost. And then second to that was practicing in training, but then third to that was practicing under pressure. So whether that's like under the pressure of a really long mission like we've done over summer or um, pressure of racing, you know, and knowing how your body responds. Because I don't think, um, I think everything changes once there's stress on the body. And, and I particularly believe emotional stress. Um, and I don't think there'd be anyone who raced at UTA who didn't have some form of emotional stress to experience and deal with on race day. Yeah. And especially with the course changed quite significantly very, very close to the yeah. start. If you were set in, you know, at X checkpoint, I'm going to have this, and then at the next one I'm going to have this, and then the night before that completely changed, your flexibility and, you know, your ability to know your own body, that would have significantly helped. Yeah, definitely. It was like, for me, the tidal waves of emotion happened six weeks out to, like, really two days out. And then it was kind of like I crossed a line after that where I became a lot more peaceful in myself. And, um, you know, I still had a huge amount of emotion <clears throat> running through me for the first 50K of the race. But um, I think why I, go, I went calm, even under all of the turmoil of course changes and the weather, was that deep down I knew that, yeah, I want my support crew at certain places. And, yeah, I would ideally love to eat that at that spot but I could still back myself. I could still stand on my own two feet and get myself from the start line to the finish line all on my own some. Um, and that's the confidence I didn't have six, seven years ago when I pulled out um, at 70K. So I think um, the it, it, I think it's a lesson that you kind of learn going through elite sport but I think also it's a lesson that I've learned through business is that you can't always be 100% in control you can do absolutely everything you can to be well prepared but at the end of the day there will be things that get thrown at you um, and I've <laughs> certainly learned that through business um, but having the ability to be flexible having the ability to draw strength from the consistency of your preparation not just kind of what you've done but like <laughs> the daily grind over and over and over and over again, I think that gives you a lot of strength. 
knowing yeah the how to stay safe out there and that's like your nutrition your hydration but also being able to rely on you know can I keep myself warm can I keep myself warm even when I'm wet you know can I prevent blisters like all those little things that I guess we've been trying to teach people and then try and drum into them why it's important like it really um it really was so highlighted to me doing the hundred you know that we are, we're on the money when we say that to people. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really actually really proud with how I dealt with all of those changes, you know, yeah. We've talked about in the previous podcast you going into your bubble when you were running. Did that happen in this race? Oh, so much. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I always talk about my bubble, but my bubble is my way of coping. Um, it, I feel like, I mean, for anyone to say you need to kind of um, look after yourself under a huge physical discomfort and emotional discomfort for 12 hours, that's, that's an enormous challenge and it's a big headache. Whereas for me, like when I go into a bubble, it's like a place where time doesn't exist and it's also a place where outside pressure doesn't exist um, and I can just deal with my head basically um and you know when we were standing on the start line and Graham my partner gave me one last hug like I just wanted to burst into tears and that was kind of the point where I knew I had to clamber into my bubble and really just get through the next like at least get to halfway so I pretty much spent the first half of the race if not more without really talking to anyone um and I only came out of my bubble when I was climbing up Nellie's Glen somewhere around the 50-kilometre mark and I bumped into a friend from Canberra who I really adore and really respect his attitude and I had an amazing experience after that running with him for you know the next half an hour. And, yeah, so the bubble is a protective space for me. I also went back in there later in the race, you know, when the going got tough. It was sort of, yeah, needed to kind of block out a bit of the pain. Does your bubble burst or do you choose to then re-engage with the race and those around you um it does burst the only time it bursts for me is when I experience love and I think that was probably something something I learned about myself in and what I need to perform over the longer distances is like who you have in your support crew and I think we all I think most of us probably think that we need to have people close to us in our support crews, and I'm starting to realise, I mean, he's in close to us in terms of relationship. Um, I'm probably starting to realise that it's probably better not to have someone in that super inner world um, and that the perfect person for me out there was Dale, my best friend, uh, your husband happens to be, um, you're one of my best friends too. <laughs> but, um, but because he'd been my training buddy, he'd, he'd seen the highs and lows that we go through in training. He'd been on a lot of the missions. I mean, he was meant to be running there with me and that, that was another thing that, you know, was a hurdle that I had to overcome before the race when I realised he wasn't going to be out there with me. But um, to, have, to have that kind of, like, support that isn't so emotionally attached to you, I think, was really important because... There were times, and we can go into it in more detail, where I got into a really dark headspace. Um, and then when I saw Graham, 
you know, and especially around the 70 kilometer mark, all I wanted to do was pull out, you know, and, and it was just because that love was so real. You knew that that was an easy out. <laughs> you could no just, judgment. No judgment. You could have a hug. You could be wrapped up in a big cuddle and told it doesn't matter anymore and just get in the car and it's all over, you know, whereas, you know, someone like Dale who's slightly more removed from the inner circle of emotion was able to kind of see a bit more reason and logic in there and was able to kind of help me through mentally um yeah so <laughs> yep so dark moments you mentioned those yeah we've had a lot of feedback from runners saying that the mental side of it is something that they either a really really struggled with on race day or b they just they just didn't anticipate how hard it was going to be mentally yeah. they felt really well prepared physically but mentally they said you know they were falling apart they couldn't deal with it how did you go with the mental aspect? Um, I didn't really deal with it very well. Um, I think I can separate this out into two, what I see as two clearly distinct things. One is the mental and emotional side that you go through leading up to the race and in the very early stages of the race. That's real. That That's kind of internal pressure. Um what you experience mentally and emotionally in the latter stages of the race once your body's already been through a hell of a lot I think is almost entirely to do with nutrition and hydration I really believe that now um so early like in the lead up to the race everything I was experiencing was fear and I kind of really knew deep down that the only way out of that was through it to go through it to get to the end to get or at least have one damn good crack at it. Like, had I sprained an ankle in the middle, that doesn't count. Like, I still would have reached some natural end point, if that makes sense. And I think that if I could go back and replay the last two months leading into the race, um, that's what I would be telling myself over and over and over again, is that everyone is going to feel this. Everyone is going to experience self-doubt. Everyone is. So you just need to kind of keep doing what you can to stay focused and stay on track so keep working on the preparation keep you know working on optimizing your nutrition your hydration your sleep your work routines your who you have around you that keeps you positive in those times and know that even with all of that you'll still experience emotion you can't turn it off it'll be like a radio you just have to turn down the noise um but Later in the race, I think um, what for me ended up playing out was that with some of the changes, I didn't quite adapt to my, my hydration properly. And I got a little bit lazy and panicky in, in the aid station at the six-foot track, so about 40, some 40, 42, 45K, where my bottles were um, grabbed by really lovely, capable, willing volunteers and filled with water and I went oh it doesn't matter I I won't bother putting my electrolyte in and it's only 90 minutes up to the next checkpoint and then I'll see Graham and my support crew and I'll just kind of deal with it then rather than have to stop and take you know a few minutes for everything to fizz and bubble and you know get your electrolytes right um and then because I was with a friend going up Nellie's I just started drinking a bit forgetting kind of what I was doing getting in the moment of just chatting and I drank a lot of water, quite plain water, which I know for my body doesn't work. And then I got, 
I got very queasy because I obviously had too much fluid in my tummy that I couldn't absorb. So then I stopped eating um, and I went pretty much for 20K without really any food. And I started to get into a really negative headspace because my, because your brain needs glucose. Um, and I've said it time and time again to people, when you get negative, when you feel emotional, when you start tripping over, when you start kind of entering black holes, it's to do with nutrition, hydration. And sadly, I got a bit too far down that tunnel and it took me a long while to clamber back out. So, um, yeah, so to me, again, it was highlighted that as soon as I was able to get out of the hole, which for me ended up being the utilization of caffeine, I had a caffeinated gel and not long after another one. And then I had some jelly beans and my glucose. And suddenly, like within, you know, five minutes, I felt invincible again. And I knew I was going to get to the finish line. It was just such a quick turnaround. And so it was so, so clearly highlighted that it doesn't matter what your brain is telling you, it is absolutely, at the end of the day, going to come back to something that you're, you're not giving your body. You know, if you've done the preparation, which everyone listening to this podcast who used our resources, I can absolutely vouch that even if you didn't follow them to a T, you were well prepared. So if you had kind of similar emotions out there thinking, oh, I can't do it, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to finish, I'm, I'm absolutely guessing that it was to do with nutrition hydration (laughs) and caffeine is that something that you have used a lot before um in your training no uh well yes and no but I think um I'd been given advice quite early on when I was learning about nutrition hydration that caffeine's a stimulant and you don't want to have too much of it too soon because you can be running along feeling like superwoman and then you're running on a stimulation high, not on, an en- on a real energy high. And what can happen is that you can then deplete your energy so much that, and you come down off your caffeine high and you're like, holy shit, I'm in a hole. So I'd always been kind of really afraid to use caffeine too much. Um, but now I look at it like I'm a bit of a tea fiend. I don't drink coffee because caffeine really does affect me, but I drink a lot of tea. And I drink it quite continuously through the day. And I think, you know, in hindsight, like even in normal life, like I've got some caffeine flowing through me through most of the morning (laughs) into the early afternoon. And so to not to go into a race and not have any caffeine um, is probably actually just a really dumb thing to do. And I think if I went back to it again, I think I wouldn't. I wouldn't use caffeine completely to get through a race, but I think I would predict when there might be tough periods coming up, you know, like going up Nellie's Glen or, you know, dealing with all the stairs along the top of the cliffs. And I, I probably would take caffeine on board just before that, just to kind of give you an emotional lift to like, Um, But, you know, knowing that when you're giving yourself that caffeine, you have to also give yourself the energy with it. You can't can't just go one caffeinated gel and now that'll last me for the next two hours. You've got to be really religious about kind of, you know, topping that energy up continuously. But I think caffeine... um, it makes me sound like I'm, like I'm a drug cheat, but I, I think in, in these really long ultras, um, yeah, I, I think it can be a weapon. So when did you use it in UTA? 
Um, I had a little bit very early on going before I got to Nellie's and actually I felt fantastic going up Nellie's and it was probably what for me the highlight of my run um, and it was definitely when I was gaining a lot of ground on everyone um, and then I, I actually had two caffeinated gels um, after I left the Fairmont Resort so with about 10-12 kilometres to go uh, um, two, two caffeinated gels is a lot of caffeine uh, but my god I felt good like I go to the finish line I'm like 160k in like the mile I, I reckon I could you know like I was so I was really on cloud nine and um, even people were saying who I boys who I ended up running with at periods were saying to my support crew like what did you give up like um, and they, you guys haven't given me anything I mean short of a lot of confidence but um, it was definitely the caffeine speaking at that point. <laughs> so we t- touched on the lows and you said Nellie's was a high for you. Mm-hmm. Were there any other highs during the race? Um, I think for me the the high came when I realised that I was capable of making it to the finish line and before that I'd had lots of people encouraging and cheering and and you know they knew my name and they'd thank me for the resources or they said I'd coach them through the 22k and they were then cheering for me and like but I wasn't I wasn't in a headspace to kind of let those positive energies come into me like I was in my bubble really um but when when I kind of realised that I was going to make the finish at about 70k, then and we just turned around and I started bumping into all these amazing people who were so so supportive and you know there was this mutual support going back and forward. That that was an incredible experience. Like it, the attitude and the atmosphere on the trail and you know in, in around the checkpoints, it was just awesome. Like it blew me away, and I I think was really the first time that I appreciated kind of, I guess, the community that we've, we've been sort of slowly building through Find Your Feed and um, through the trail running community, and that was pretty cool, yeah. So gear, mm. did everything work out well for you? Did it work as planned? Were there any issues? No, I think, like, pretty spot on. Um, I'm really stoked that I was able to get all of my mandatory gear into my my favourite vest pack, which is only a three-litre vest pack. But, um, again, you know, like, learn a lot of lessons over the years about how to keep getting getting the air out of things and getting it really, really small and tight. And I think I had that really perfect. Um, I had the perfect shoes for the, I think, for that race and for my foot shape and style and my running technique. Um, I used the Sense Ultras the new um new ones the eight millimeter drop and they, they were just so perfect I mean there were definitely times when it was a little bit slippery and had to be careful but I don't think you could ever ask any shoe to perform 100% of the time in that terrain um yeah and look I think you know probably the only error I made was I know that even when it's a bit wet and drizzly on the start line you never ever put too many layers on because you just overheat straight away and yet I still fell in that trap I think because I was nervous and frightened I had that that cold fear that you get in inside you and I, I was feeling the cold extra like you know in a heightened way and I put an extra thermal on and yeah sure enough like I had to stop and strip off everything so you know there are a few changes I would make but in general I think the advice that we were giving out to people was really spot on and I'm, I'm really yeah I'm really really happy with how I performed in that respect. So we've, we've discussed before that 
you know, you've had some people say you're coaching for 100Ks, but you've never run it. Mm. So now having completed the 100K in a race situation, any changes you'd make to your 100K planner? No, actually no. I, I honestly really believe that. Um, if anything, for me, that has been the biggest take-home and relief that I've felt after this race is like independent of what I achieved on a personal level in that race or didn't achieve, one thing I definitely feel like I've achieved is an even more heightened understanding of why I need to train people the way I'm training people, um, you know, and, and advising people because, you know, like the missions and the strength that you draw from them, the ability to stay uninjured for six months leading into a huge race like that where volumes are high, I mean, I, I really think all of that is is unique um, it works, it's safe, it's achievable amongst busy lives and I'm evidence of it um, and I, I kind of wish more people did it. So I think I'm walking away with even more empowered to and with more confidence to be able to get the word out there now. I think I've probably been hiding a little bit behind that self-doubt and fear that, and, and buying into other people's views, well, you haven't done 100, how would you know? Um, now I need to kind of, I think, hold myself a little bit taller and go, it works, and, and I'm really satisfied it works for most people. How do you feel crushing the, crossing the finish line? <laughs> oh, relief. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that the emotion is not too dissimilar from crossing a finish line at the World Orienteering Championships about 18 months ago when I realised that I'd made the podium again, you know, the first time since 2007 I was back on the podium um, and it had been a long time in between and I think it was this feeling that the relief comes from this feeling like I'm not a hoax, you know, and it, and it wasn't a fluke, you know, you just... you you know that you were responsible for getting yourself to that position. Um, I think the thing now is to come to terms with the fact that due to lots of the stuff we've talked about, the self-doubt, the fear, um, I think I let that undermine my performance. Um, And I think in the last two months leading up to the race, um, that kind of led to a slipping of my care factor and I think that was just a protective mechanism like I think as my care factor I was sort of getting into the mentality like maybe I don't even need to do it you know maybe I don't even need to stand on the 100k start line like what does it matter it doesn't matter like and because of that I think things like I probably just didn't taper quite as well as I would have liked I um you know I let a few of my good routines slide like getting to bed earlier and um, nutrition I probably let that slide me a bit too much chocolate and I just kind of because of that it might not have had any physical impact on me but it had a bit of a psychological impact on me like I think it filtered back into the self-doubt and I started getting a little bit of a negative spiral so I think kind of like once the relief phase left I think I've kind of been left with a little bit of reality, like I don't know if I've achieved my potential. <laughs> but I know I didn't achieve my potential in that race. But that, you know, that's cool. And I guess that's kind of what makes you keep going back for more, isn't it? <laughs> Will you be going back for more? Um, I think I 
I can't give an answer to that. I think what I want to say is that I feel like I owe it to myself and my partner Graham and other really important people in my life like our team at work and even my family to probably say no because it has I've been in the elite athlete world since I was 11 um there's always been ambitions to go on and be the best athlete I can be and sadly that is a little bit of a selfish undertaking like even though I have been able to keep work up and study up and have some family life and keep a relationship like it's always a a juggling act and I feel like I've probably stretched myself pretty thin in the last few years so I feel like it's probably the right answer is to say not at the moment um and and give back a bit of that energy into those relationships I think that's probably what my heart's saying but so you'll have (laughs) all of this time now where you're not getting up early training for a hundred kilometer race yeah what do you want to do is there anything you have your heart set on or anything you want to achieve um I mean Find Your Feet to me is incredibly important and the people in Find Your Feet in that life, be it the the clientele or the the team members, they're like family, a lot of them now. You know, I've definitely found a lot of really close friendships and relationships through that and I think that's important to me to kind of really... um, kind of work out what the evolution of Find Your Feet is going to be and that's quite a hard question for me at the moment Um, because I guess at the end of the day I'm driven by a need to help people and I'm not really very good at asking for money for it and probably people listening to this will probably laugh and nod their heads and go "Uh uh-huh yep Um, but for me it's been really important that these resources and this knowledge is available and accessible to everyone independent of whether you have money or not and um, but that kind of has meant that Graham and I are kind of living on the poverty line at the moment as in like we, you know, we, we invest everything back into the business and probably have left ourselves a little bit short um, and that's probably really stretched me then as a person on some levels and as an athlete. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of work that I need to do there but I really get how hard it is for there's been a lot of stuff in the media at the moment about elite athletes and life after sport and it's not like I haven't had a life like I've just said you know I've had the business since 2009 and I've worked you know a lot of jobs and I kind of know what it's like to kind of have to work to put food on the table but I think kind of when you grow up in that mentality of like you could go on to be an elite athlete you kind of know in your heart that um maybe you're a little bit different and that you are capable of achieving something at a very, very high level. And then your kind of world does kind of get painted a little bit around that portrayal of whether it's you portraying yourself like that, but also maybe how you're portrayed by others. And it's a really weird feeling to kind of, to to potentially walk away now from elite sport and feel like there's more to give and then not really knowing how to kind of do that does that make I can't explain that in any other way it's sort of just like this constant question like have I fulfilled my potential am I fulfilling my potential how do I fulfill my potential um and how do I who is Hanny when you're not 
you know, when you're not... Um, I think it even comes back to how you look, how you feel about yourself when you look in the mirror. Like, I'm so used to looking at an athletic body. What's it going to... You know, is that going to be what it... You know, am I going to change in that way or, you know, am I still going to kind of keep that athleticism but I'm just not going to race? Like, there's so many questions. It's really hard. And it's really hard coming from an individual sport where you haven't had that coach you know, holding your hand the whole time. You haven't had a team around you who are all going to go and experience the same emotion. Like, um, you know, like, it, it, yeah, that I f- feel like that for me is very real fears now, you know, to kind of navigate that space. <laughs> yeah. So a winter of reflecting. Yeah, I think a winter of reflecting, but I think the way that I'm going to deal with it and go through it is to play I think for me the worst thing I could do now is just stop and say, oh, just because I'm not an elite athlete doesn't mean that I can't be out there every morning and do this. I think it's just the, it's just a different headspace with how you do it and why you're doing it. You're doing it because you – I mean, I've always done it because I love it, but more than ever it's got to be because I love it now, um, you know, and, and really trying to feel good in myself by – the routines that I have in my life, the people that surround me in my life, like what I play and get up to in the mornings and the evenings after work and the weekends. And I think it's just like finding new routines. And I think then all the other questions will just kind of fall into place. Like patience, I think is something I've read about for athletes when they leave sport is like, have patience, (laughs) take time. But we're so used to kind of setting a goal and then driving ourselves to get there because at the end of the day we are the only ones who can work to get that goal whereas I think in the real world it doesn't always happen like that it's about relationships and being in the right place at the right time and lots of those sorts of things are you excited to try new things so you've been it's been running focused Mm. and all about the running and you know any other activities or things you could do have kind of been well, maybe it's, they're not as important, they're not the priority. Are you excited to broaden away from Oh, running? absolutely. Like, I actually haven't always just been in running. Like, I've definitely, you know, over the years I've had a love of swimming. Um, I really got into mountain biking and road cycling when I moved to Canberra about um, five, six years ago. I, um, You guys taught me to climb over summer and that was just unreal and I just, started hatching all these dreams and ambitions around like combining the running and the climbing and um yeah so I would love to buy a weddy and brave the cold waters of Tassie and get out and do some body surfing and there's so many other things to do and I think yeah you're like you're right like it's just embracing all of that and getting your head around the idea that it's okay not to have some big scary f off goal in the distance that you're working towards that you can kind of wing it. <laughs> so it's a different headspace. <laughs> Just a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So I guess to summarise, what advice would you give to runners going, aiming for a race, be it the 22, the 50, the 100, first-timers, they've been doing it for 10 years. What advice would you give them having complete, completed UTA? Yeah, um, quite a few things. Uh the first one is to know why you've set the goal in the first place and to kind of, when you set the goal, to really be true to yourself. I think because when we, like I said, you know, there wouldn't be anyone who went to UTA this year who didn't have some fear or self-doubt or emotion kind of, 
you know, threatening to undermine them a little bit is like you do go back to to the reason why you set the goal and remind yourself of that. And, you know, I did set the UTA goal, yeah, because it was unfinished business, but um, because when I did set it, I thought that it could be a bit of fun to, to prepare with my friend Dale and, you know, go through that process together. And um, so, yeah, making sure that goal is is yours, I think is so important. Um I then think, like, for me, it goes back to being so consistent with your preparation and your training. Um, You don't have to go out every day and do epic. You're better to go out and do less but make it consistent and make it really fun and enjoyable. And I think that's why the benefit of wave training, like we train or have advised people to train, is really important because... I feel like you can live life around your training as well. It's not just all about your sport. Um, But on that journey, be ready to experience emotions. Like, they'll be so real and you will not be alone. We all feel them. It doesn't matter how elite or novice we are. Um, You're going to probably feel self-doubt. You're going to probably feel fear. You're going to probably feel sort of, like, excited about it at times and... Um, don't fight that emotion and and in some ways don't buy into it just focus on what you can do and what's in your (laughs) self-control I kind of wish someone had told me that a bit earlier Um, you don't yeah you don't have to cut everything else loose you should be able to work you should be able to have relationships but you know I guess always thinking about how you can be compassionate to yourself and look after yourself because recovery is critical. Um, and then when you, when you are in those preparations, I cannot emphasise enough how important it is to learn about nutrition and hydration and get it right. Um, I know everyone is different, but there are still some absolutely critical fundamental principles that you need to learn. Um, but also, too, don't box yourself into uh, into being too rigid as well because anything can happen on race day and you have to have a flexible mindset. You have to be able to roll with the punches no matter whether they're thrown at you by someone else or whether you throw them at yourself. So I think this year highlighted that some people dealt with that better than others and I think those who were flexible, were the ones who kind of really came out on top at the end. Um, Learn who you need in your support crew because you will rely on them um, strongly at times and uh, work out whether people really close to you are the people that really should always be at the front of the support crew because emotions will be there and you will probably not treat them as you would desire to treat them as well so I think it kind of is protective in both ways um don't be afraid to use caffeine and practice that Uh, I think that it can be a really good tool to help against pain and emotion um so I think that's really important and then, I mean, I'd say, I'd say that this is someone who runs a retail store, but get your gear right, get good advice. Um, when you get it right, it's like you never have to think about it. You know, it's just there and you know it's going to help you in any occasion. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so, and then probably actually one more thing 
is about after a race. Like I think you will feel the doomsdays, that you will feel like a void opens up. You're so used to working towards this goal and it has kind of occupied probably the last four to six months of your life um, in some form or other. And I think when you feel that void open up, it's really easy to be like, what next, what next? And, and feel this almost like a rush of panic to kind of work that out. And I think it's probably the worst thing we can do. I think we probably need to kind of really appreciate that your body, even if it feels good, it's going to take four to six weeks to be really back to full strength and ready to go again. And also I think our minds get a bit kind of fuzzy-wuzzy as well after what we've been through. So I think making sure that um, you don't plan anything, you don't put any new goals in place probably for at least three weeks um, until you get clearer thinking and the emotions of race day have settled out. <laughs> so Otherwise you'll suddenly stand on a start line <laughs> in six months I'm going, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. Thank you so much for that. That's a pleasure.